Today, we are going to talk about the importance of institution building. I think uh, you've seen some kind of a renaissance happening within the Hindu space. And uh, that is why we are under attack. Because uh, the forces that know and that have studied the strength of the Hindu narrative are actually alarmed. So today, I have uh, Dr. Kalyan Vishwanathan of the Hindu University of America. He heads the Hindu University of America. And of course, as usual, if it's Wednesday, it's got to be Vibhuti Jha. So there we go. We go in straight to the topic. And please do <clears throat> go to our description and uh, follow us on our social media handles and uh, press the link for support and do whatever you can. Namaste to all viewers and uh, welcome Dr. Kalyan Vishwanathan and uh, Shri Vibhuti Jha. Actually, Sanjay ji, if I may interrupt, I am also Shri Kalyan Vishwanathan, not yet Dr. Kalyan Vishwanathan. Okay, not yet. Okay, uh, I'm Shri Kalyan Vishwanathan, I am corrected. But Shri Vibhuti Jha has a special connotation because this mm -hmm. Wednesday, 10 p.m. show, is uh, always with Shri Vibhuti Jha. So when I put uh, not just Shri, but when I say Shri Vibhuti Jha, it has a special ring to it. So, <laughs> I, I join in the ring. <laughs> in every sense of the term. On that, on that lighter note, uh, if we come straight to the point, uh, Kalyanji. Hmm. Uh, I think you have uh, this wonderful initiative called the Hindu University of America, uh, that too in California. I think uh, we have been talking a lot about uh, the Hindu issues. There is some sort of Hindu renaissance, at least in the social media space. Uh, we see a bit of it happening in the academic space as well. But uh, there has been very little of uh, what we call uh, very firm and focused institution building. Right. You have attempted this. Uh, and of course, the word Hindu to a university, I think it's only the second time I'm hearing after Banaras and the universities. Please correct me if I am wrong, uh, whether this is the uh, first instance after Banaras and the university of a Hindu university coming into being. And uh, why did you go for this initiative? Well, uh, first of all, you know, this university was established in uh, 1993 and authorized by the state of Florida in the United States of America. Uh, and it was inspired by one uh, Swami Tilak, uh, who was part of the Vishwa Hindu Parishad of America organization. Okay. So it has a little bit of history. It's been around for 30 years now. Uh, almost 30 years. Now, uh, but it has gone through a lot of ups and downs in the sense that uh, because of uh, absence of sustained funding and sponsorship, a lot of transitions, the university has uh, had some good times and some not, to, not so good times. But we are now in the process of revitalizing the university and setting it on a path of uh, 
sustained growth uh, so that it can become not only a, a respectable, reputable, accredited institution in the United States of America, but also a global institution that can serve the Hindu community uh, throughout the diaspora as well as in Bharat to the extent it can be embraced in Bharat as well. So that's a brief uh, initial uh, uh, statement on the university. So you mentioned California. Actually, the university is registered and authorized by the state of Florida. Okay. Now, we do intend to become authorized in multiple states in America so we can have uh, small campuses and centers in, in, in different, different places where there are uh, densities of uh, populations uh, of the Hindu community. Um, and of course, that can happen internationally also. Um, I would say one more thing, uh, Sanjayji, uh, that, uh, you know, there is a center in Oxford called the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies, uh, if you might remember, uh, that came into being, uh, you know, maybe more than a decade ago, maybe 15 years ago, almost 20 years ago or so. We also have a, a center for Dharma studies at the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California, which is a small center. Uh, but you're correct, uh, you know, a whole university calling itself Hindu, a Hindu like the Hindu University of America, after Banaras Hindu University, this is uh, probably a major, uh, a major effort. But we should not forget uh, the numerous others that have come along the way, Hindu college, uh, you know, Hindu college. In, in fact, uh, I'll tell a small story here. My own grandfather was involved in the creation of uh, the Hindu college in Machili Patnam in Andhra Pradesh, which was an effort in the 1920s, 1930s to counter the missionary uh, movement uh, where they, when they set up a college, they're called Noble College, Noble College. And the people, the Hindus were very alarmed by Noble College and they wanted to somehow counter it. They created Hindu College. You might remember that there is a Hindu College in uh, uh, Calcutta, which was started uh, long ago. And I'm sure there are many small little colleges and institutions all over uh, that call themselves Hindu. Hindu for example, there's a Hindu high school that I know of in, uh, in Chennai, for example. Uh, but, you know, so we don't want to call ourselves the only the sec, only the second one, but it's an important initiative in the West, particularly the first one in America. That's for sure. Right. Uh, now let me come to, uh, to the, the second part of that question. Mm -hmm. uh, you really think that institution building has lacked in the Hindu space? Yeah, you see, the uh, you know what is fascinating when I look at my own uh, uh, family history, right? When uh, the Hindu College was founded in Machilipatnam in the nineteen twenties and thirties in Andhra Pradesh, they embraced English education with a tremendous uh, enthusiasm, and. See, the effort was to retain our Hindu identity, 
but embrace Western ideas, Western concepts, Western science, Western technology uh, as enthusiastically as possible. And you know that 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 has been one of the uh, characteristics of uh, the institution building efforts uh, of that era. And of course, post-independence, you know what happened, which is uh, that uh, our constitution itself, uh, you know, undermined the creation of uh, programs of study centered on Hindu dharma. It in fact eliminated it from the campuses, from the universities in substantial measure. So much so that the Hindu studies, the study of our own culture, civilization, our uh, heritage got marginalized. You know, it, it went into the mathas, pitas, ashrams, some gurus here and there in the mountains. You had to go find it, so go search for it. It was just removed from the mainstream. So uh, Hindu University of America is an effort to bring Hindu studies into the mainstream, you know, not just in the margins, and to hopefully engage the mainstream uh, narratives of the contemporary world, uh, both West and East, and potentially to contribute Hindu thought in a meaningful, responsible way to the future of humanity. So all of, all of those are important opportunities in front of the university. Right. Uh, okay. Vibhuti ji, you've been working this tirade against uh, what is called Hindutva. And uh, of course, with all its uh, nuances. And uh, we together have often felt that uh, one of the instruments of undermining the Hinduness or Hindutva is the academia. Right. And uh, academia is where we have to focus, at least in the West, because uh, because uh, because of our uh, very very acute mental colonization. I think a large number of students and large number of even parents still look up to the West to take their cues in uh, doing their own bit. So, how do you look at uh, the academia being influenced by? measures such as these and what do you think what more we should be doing in terms of institution building as as uh, as as we both have talked about many times in the past building an institution doesn't mean creating a physical structure an institution means as kalyanji was saying that his grandfather set up a hindu college in machlipattam the point of the matter remains is that commitment is required. We are, as, as Kalyanji very, very, very succinctly put it, that we were open to embracing the Western and English education in our own way, in our own ways to learn things. Whereas the West has not accepted and our own universities have not accepted Sanskrit teaching. So the commitment is very important for us to recognize that if we do not do that, we will be swept away. And it's very heartening for me to know that sitting here in the United States, somebody started 30 years ago the concept of Hindu University of America. 
And, uh, you know, as Kalanji mentioned, uh, he has been on my show in the U.S. And we talked about this. What ails those efforts? And one of them is commitment. Commitment to do that. Commitment to fund, because money is required everywhere. Money is required for everything that we want to do. So one of the things that was missing out is commitment. The, the, the time frame in which the Hindu University of America floundered a bit or went through a tough time was because it did not have full-time people. And to the credit of Kalyanji here, I'm very proud to share with all our audiences that he gave up his lucrative IT uh, in information technology or IT services career to take up the presidentship of the university in a leadership role and devote himself fully. And I know that in the last uh, two years or so, they have made rapid progress. So this is the kind of thing that institution building requires, commitment, money, and resources, and the involvement of everybody. If we do not get involved, then it remains, to use the Hindi phrase, Nam ke vaste kam. That's where we have been hurt mostly. And this is where it is important that people like Kalyanji and his team and the people who are supporting it. But what, what fascinates me more is, uh, and I would want Kalyanji to mention that, that, one of the things that we identified was the famous phenomenon of India-born confused desis who were never taught the Hindu culture uh, in, uh, or the Hindu way of life, our own texts, our own Vedas, our Puranas, Gitas, and everything else. We were never taught about it. And the constitution made it impossible for Hindu-based institutions to flourish, whereas other minorities were allowed, as a result of which we suffered. So the first generation Indians who came here, they were Hindus in name only. Their children, our, our desire for them to accept and adapt to the way of life everywhere we were was great, but it also enabled us to forget our own culture. So India-born confused desis produced America-born confused desis, <laughs> and we all are Hindus in name only. It's a global phenomenon. So, you know, for example, in the Hindu University of America, which I'm sure Kalyanji will talk about it, there are several courses they are offering in Sanskrit language. There is a degree certification for Sanskrit language that we and I have talked about on this program several times, that if only Nehru had made Sanskrit the national language, we won't be here where we are today, talking uh, a Tamilian, a Diliwala, Rajasthani, and a Bihari talking in English in a globally interconnected world right now. So this is, the, this is the part which I feel is the Hindu University of America is doing well. And academics, the, you know, as my grandfather used to tell, a station master manages the train, a school teacher manages the mind. And that's where our mind has been absolutely circumscribed, circumcised actually by adapting everything which we are not to our way of life and forgetting our way of life entirely. So to that end, I'm very, very, very proud to say that Hindu University of America is moving forward, Sanskrit education, Gita education, Mahabharata education, in Sanskrit too. And they started, based on my previous conversation was, that they started a joint program for parents and children to learn about Hinduism together. Oh, wonderful. Yes, yes. There is a certificate program where a lot of parents and children are doing the program together. 
so that the, it is not that it is for me alone to learn and my child need not learn or only if the child goes for the program and i don't need to learn no we need to know more because unless and until we are to use the phrase on the same page we are perhaps reading different lines altogether so that's where i would say okay let's uh, ask uh, kalyan vishwanathan ji once again mm-hmm. uh, we find actually that uh, the boys and girls who are coming to the united states mm-hmm. and especially in the non stem courses they are completely vulnerable to yeah. brainwashing right so does uh, does an institution like hindu university of america help in countering that kind of a malaise in any manner so that's a great question you know see what we find here in the in the west is a very well funded well developed uh, ecos academic ecosystem right where uh, not only are there a uh, lot of scholarships available financing available uh, to go through your uh, say masters or doctoral program in the humanities say for example in south asian studies which is which is the current incarnation of the academia and so area studies which is which got established right after the world war 2 in the us i mean uh, nearly a billion dollars went into creating area studies programs throughout the united states in various universities uh, because the us wanted to understand the world and the world's various regions and their vulnerabilities to becoming communist versus remaining capitalist aligning with russia versus aligning with us and so on some of those motivations created the area studies programs and we ended up with the south asian studies program as a container for what goes on in the name of contemporary hindu studies or india studies etc that ecosystem you know which consists of uh, programs in uh, harvard in um, yale in columbia in chicago in berkeley in uh, austin and on and on creates a very nice uh, opportunity for young students to graduate and find a job find a job right, right. yeah so the you know in confronting institution uh, the creation of an institution like hindu university of america you know one of the questions that frequently comes up with uh, our own well meaning uh, wealthy hindu uh, donors is what will these students do after they graduate you follow where, where will they go will they get a job in colombia will they get a job in uh, in uh, harvard will they will they be accepted in uh, berkeley and so on now this is a very real and important question okay now um in the immediate future we hope that the university will be able to make a real difference in terms of uh generating writings papers academic uh, journals activities uh, academic uh, work products books edited volumes and so on which serve to position a hindu perspective uh 
and so therefore we do expect that the hindu university of america will will make uh, an important difference in engaging western academia particularly uh, in correcting the misconceptions misperceptions uh, which are uh, being perpetuated through sheer repetition um, and citations and so on and so forth. So that that needs to be done, and we will we will do it. At the same time, the university cannot survive without an ecosystem around it. So therefore, you know this. I I see this university as a, as the beginning of an effort to actually build a much larger, much more. Uh, 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 you know, substantive ecosystem in which our graduates, the university graduates can go and find teaching positions which are funded by our own community in many, many different mainstream universities. Uh, and, when, and when we are able to do that, uh, then we will make a dent in what is going on. Because as you rightly pointed out, if a young kid from India comes and joins a humanities program in uh, Columbia or Harvard or uh, any any of the mainstream universities in the, the prestigious universities in the US, more likely than not, they will get a perspective about Hinduism that is entirely Western in character, which ends up uh, denigrating Hindu dharma, de delegitimizing Hindu as a way of being in the world. Uh, dehumanizing the Hindus and almost presenting a view that in order to become fully human and fully modern, fully contemporary, one has to not only relinquish one's association with Hindu dharma, but one also has to become hostile to it. And uh, then these youngsters who come and uh, study in the West uh, who are utterly uh, taken up by this ideological standpoint, easily become watchdogs for the Western academia. Watchdogs. Okay. You know, so they just do all the barking, whereas the, uh, the, the Western academia can sit in the background and uh, you know, having cultivated these people, so this is a this is a problem, a serious problem, and I'm saying it rather harshly, but this is what's happening. And the, the I mean, uh, you cannot uh, deny that this is the condition of the academia today. So, are you also running STEM courses? No, we are not. So, it's a, it's an interesting, very good question. See, the STEM is a very very established area, very popular amongst the Indians, Hindus. I mean, we love STEM. I mean, my God, we love STEM, right? So uh, to replicate the STEM in an, in a, in the, under the banner of uh, Hindu University of America, at least in my perspective, was not uh, a, a significant priority. What we do want to do is uh, offer Hindu courses, courses on Hindu Dharma from HUA, Hindu University of America, that can be integrated uh, relatively easily 
into STEM-based programs in other universities in the U.S. and and elsewhere and abroad globally through a simple mechanism of a credit transfer. That a young kid, you know, who's enrolled in a computer science program or a electrical engineering program or an environmental engineering program, whatever it is, they may take one, two, three or four courses from Hindu University of America, transfer the credit into their program and comfortably get a STEM degree while getting a little bit of uh, Hindu, uh, you know, background and foundations from Hindu University of America. My view has been that this is a better model than to try and replicate uh, a STEM environment, which is going to be very expensive to do, you know, to, to, to be able to effectively compete with the well-developed, sophisticated, well-funded uh, STEM environments that are already present in many, many, many universities in the West. Okay, so that point is well taken. So, Vibhutiji, uh, you heard uh, Kalyan Vishwanathandi. Uh, you are, of course, yourself uh, into building some kind of an ecosystem. You think uh, that uh, having an academic university as a base and uh, building a superstructure on the kind that we are trying to do by means of our Jaipur dialogues or other electronic initiatives, and that is a more effective uh, way of doing it. Because I've seen this, uh, a lot of American universities have these Hindu programs, they also have their, I have this wonderful example of uh, the Sanskrit department of Harvard University, headed by Sheldon Pollock, whose yeah, only in interest is to. Sorry? He's in, he's in Colombia. Sheldon Pollock is in Colombia. No, sorry, sorry. Uh, Colombia. The Harvard, Harvard, the Sanskrit department was head, is headed by uh, Michael Whitson. Okay, uh, both of them. Yeah. Uh, both of them completely, <laughs> their major effort is to delegitimize the Indian traditions, the Sanskrit uh, uh, language as our sacred language, and completely try and secularize everything and divest it of its Hinduness. And uh, that seems to be a problem because there are uh, there isn't a dearth of uh, Hindu departments or Sanskrit departments or many other uh, uh, departments that cater to what we call it, even history departments, for instance, South Asian history departments. But all of them have a singular focus of delegitimizing whatever is Hindu. So in that kind of a hostile envir environment, Vibhutiji as an outsider, how do you think a Hindu university is going to make a difference? <laughs> uh, the, this is a big, big question. This is the big elephant in the room. And how do we reclaim our lost spot? And as we all know, we all know that the Western education system is designed to delegitimize us. Nothing. This is no longer a secret either. They openly say that. And they are doing it surreptitiously, cutting us under the belly, as the saying goes. And that's the reason why 
that's the reason why we are facing an existential challenge. For the Hindu University of America, we have the unique advantage today, you know, as I always say, that we have the advantage of the technology leap. And since most of the Indians are very finely tuned to STEM and STEM education and STEM mindset, we have to begin to learn how do we take advantage of that scenario. If we do not take advantage, just as we are taking the advantage of technology today, to have this conference, this call from three different places in live, we can offer these programs through Hindu, Hindu University of America globally. And that's where I say that India and Hindus need to take advantage of the technology leap. We are no longer shackled under the old system of education. Class, This is classroom. This can be a classroom and we know people are doing it. So the question is, how do we create the relevance? A point which was very well stated earlier on, that what does it get us? What do we get in return? Because America has made that phrase very, very popular. What's in it for me? So if I do this, that's good. I know about myself, but does it get me a job? Does it get me this or that? And therefore, exploring the opportunity for linking and creating advantage is key for that. And for this particular thing also is important, is that we have to build our cloud. We have talked about this many times, and we know that. Kalyanji also knows that. That we Hindus are very respected. I say Hindus because most of the people who are successful in this part of the world, but that so many CEOs of global companies are all Hindus, essentially. They may say secular, but the point of the matter is that they are all essentially Hindus. Satya Nadella is Satya Nadella, right? Pichai Sundar is Sundar. His name is Sundar. <laughs> uh, you know, so the point which I'm trying to make is that we have to somewhere along the line seek, enroll, and mobilize that support. It's very critical. It is, it is truly sad that while people of other faith are able to generate awesome amount of funds for their education, we, we are not able to do that. And that's the challenge we face in terms of pure organizing ourselves with the, with the cloud that we enjoy in the community worldwide. See, we are an immigrant community globally respected in every part of the world. No exceptions. Respect. We are not a law and order problem, whether due to our religion or due to our behavior and conduct, socially or otherwise. So we are, we are an integral part of every com country's communities. The question is, are we pulling our punch? And that's what is important to do that. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, as I believe that Technology and science has enabled us to drop the so many mythias and so many misconceptions that exist created by vested institutions and vested groups of people. We have to demolish them. They, 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 they recently held a demolition of Hindutva in global uh, setup. I'm saying let us demolish that itself. And that's what is important for us to do. And it's not going to be easy. It may not happen in my lifetime. Hopefully it will happen in both your lifetimes. And if not earlier, that we are able to reestablish ourselves. And for us, technology is the key. Science is the key. And we have to foster that ecosystem 
the belief, the confidence that Shushruta did not need FRCS degree to be a surgeon. You know, that's what is important for the world to know. That people here, I know that people who, who complete MRCP and FRCS, they think they became royal society members. But hey, Sushruta did not need it. Panini did not need it. They, we did not need Western endorsement to be what they are and what they gave the world. Let's reclaim those things one by one. It's available. Now we can convey that message truthfully, honestly, and with, with integrity and pride. Right, right. Now I pose the same question to uh, Kalyanji with an additional remark. You know, this Audrey Trushke, whenever she is asked uh, as to who, what is her USP vis-a-vis uh, India, the way she tries to represent India, she says, I have training. Look, I have training. You know, there's a joke that I read. I think it was narrated by uh, the then Acharya Rajneesh, who became Osho later. And he said that, uh, you know, just narrated an incident. Uh, rather, incident means an imaginary kind of an incident. That uh, <clears throat> Kabir happened to come down to this world just to see as to how people were doing with his uh, teachings. And then he wandered into a class at Harvard where they were teaching Kabir. And uh, they happened to recognize him. They gave him all the honors and seated him in the front row. And then the professor started teaching. Uh, when he started teaching, the Kabir objected. He said, no, this is not what I meant. Hmm. So he was made to shut up by the professor. He said, look, you may be Kabir, but I have the doctorate. You don't have the training. You don't have the doctorate. You don't have the entitlement. You can't teach. Mm -hmm. Of course, we can always garden you. That's about all that you can do. You right. can even institute medals and you can institute courses in your name, but you can't teach. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, uh, so uh, clearly, right, uh, the uh, getting, acquiring that PhD degree is an important uh, uh, threshold to meet to teach in a contemporary university, right? Now, um, you know, in, in many ways, uh, we Hindus have accepted Western uh, standards, Western institutions, Western uh, laws, Western constitutions, Western uh, frameworks in many, many walks of life. Now, we, are, we fully embrace the English language, for example. We've embraced Western in inventions in computers, in electronics, like Vibhutiji was saying. We have no problem uh, embracing so many new ideas that have emerged from the West. Why, why not also embrace the this threshold called acquiring a doctoral degree in Hindu studies, a doctor of theology on Hindu dharma, a master's in divinity, uh, in Hindu divinity, Okay, and so on, which are titles well established in the West. So, for example, Harvard University, when it originally started, it was it was a Harvard College, which was a divinity school. It later became Harvard Divinity School. 
and it happily coexists amongst Harvard's, Harvard Business School, Harvard School of Medicine, Harvard Law School, and all other Harvard schools and colleges. So the, the presence of a divinity school as a major school within in a, in a consortium of schools that forms a university is not at all a problem in the West. So you have a Yale Divinity School, you have a Princeton Theological Seminary, which predates Princeton University. You, know, you have a Union Theological Seminary right opposite Columbia University in New York. You have a graduate theological union that is right in the heart of the University of California, Berkeley campus. And University of California is a state university, a state-funded university. And the Graduate Theological Union is in that state-funded university. So, you know, whatever way the this dichotomy between science and religion, secular, secular state and the religious world has been negotiated in the West, when that principle was imported into India, they deliberately uh, amputated the concern for religious education from the constitutional framework. And they set in motion decades and decades of no funding, no framework, no movement, no momentum towards creating Hindu studies programs, theology programs, divinity programs, and so on. Now, in, the, in America, there is a category of university called divinity schools, theological schools. It's, a, it's its own category, and they are authorized as such, and it's not a problem at all. So what we are doing is we're simply saying, well, if we have to meet a threshold, if Kabir has to meet a threshold called he has to get a PhD in order to teach, we have a framework, we, at least one place, one uh, location, one environment, one platform where acquiring that PhD becomes possible. And that PhD will be an accredited PhD. Uh, it will meet all the standards of academic rigor uh, required in a contemporary uh, framework. And, you know, I'm very confident that, uh, that uh, intellectually, spiritually, uh, Hindus have the aptitude and the motivation and the capacity to acquire these PhD degrees. They will do it in a heartbeat. If, if only they can apply themselves to it. That's not the issue. The issue is obviously funding, uh, like Vivuti Jab uh, pointed out, you know, to funding to create a university and the funding to develop the ecosystem around that university that creates opportunities for new scholars, uh, new doctoral uh, people with PhDs to speak up, to write, to publish, and slowly, when we build a critical mass, uh, the the, the Hindu Renaissance uh, will happen within the academic uh, communities. And uh, I believe it has to happen in, in Bharat also. You know, in every, you know, uh, hundreds of Hindu studies programs, Hindu studies departments and centers for Hindu studies must develop. In India, in Bharat, within the framework of the current constitutional environment, with funding from within India, and 
unabashedly without without any embarrassment our younger generation has to study hinduism has to study hindu dharma and you know the sans- sanskritam as a language sanskrit has to be revived you cannot become a, a nation that is just stitched together with english or hindi it is the sanskritam so sanskrit is the heart of the the beating heart of the hindu dharma sanatana dharma and therefore uh, it is only a beginning you know what we are doing is one small measure in the, in, in the west uh, we we hope that it will become uh, i'll tell a little story you know i uh, uh, you know my father was born in a small village uh, near the great brahadishwara temple in tanjavur okay okay small village okay it's a little small yeah. little village but that mandir i don't know if you have ever been to that mandir i've been to brahadishwara temple yes brahadishwara temple yes i have been it is it is impossible to be struck by the sheer size of it the the presence of it the magnificence of that mandir you know and uh, it has stood for a thousand years already and i have no doubt it will stand for many thousands of years more and i often wonder the the people who built that mandir you know more than 1000 years ago did, were they did they imagine a mandir that will last for several several thousand years or is it a sort of an accident that it is still alive after thousand years i suspect they fully imagined it you know they, with every brick they laid every stone they cut they envisioned that a mandir that would last thousands and thousands of years you know and uh, that spirit of envisioning a culture a civilization for thousands of years if we can imbibe into ours envisioning our own universities of today you know these institutions should last thousand years or more and more then we will have properly founded the emergence of these new kinds of institutions um, and uh, of course it goes without saying that those of us uh, amongst the hindu community who feel for institution building who want to participate uh, you know uh, they must move into the creation of educational institutions uh, begin small in the cause of uh, sanatana dharma in hindu dharma all over the place okay yeah that is a fundamental problem actually you know that when you uh, try and uh, give the kind of uh, degree titles that uh, the western theological institutions gave mm-hmm. actually we need to emphasize as well that the frameworks are completely different yeah absolutely the dharma operate in an experiential framework and uh, the religions the dogmatic religions they operate in an intellectual framework at their very best otherwise mostly they are they are operating in a dogmatic framework yeah. so and and <laughs> their best is just a product of intellect we know they do not even recognize that there is anything beyond intellect yeah. whereas uh, dharma uh, everything that you talk about that entire dharma that comes out of uh something that is uh, paravidya beyond intellect right so uh, if you give the kind of titles to the degrees uh, that the westerns westerners give 
uh, would that really work out? Won't it create more confusion? Not, uh, not really, uh, Sanjayji. I, I believe that uh, an authentic education in Hindu Dharma must be centered on Paravidya, the, what you call the, the yogic, experiential, you know, the, the, the deeply uh, spiritual dimension. It has to incorporate that. Okay. And at the same time, it has to be, it has to have a scriptural textual dimension because our textual corpus is vast, is very vast. Now, the way the West reads our text, our texts, whether it's Mahabharata, Ramayana, anything, Veda, Upanishad, Brahma Sutra, whatever, the way the West reads our text is, they read it as a historical document that says something about the people who lived in those days, in those times, you know, so they use the text to make commentary. So to use your own Kabir example, you know, the, the person who is saying, you're not the expert, I am the expert on Kabir. Now, so you please sit there, I will explain Kabir to my students. What he's saying is, he or she is saying essentially is, Kabir is a historical figure he said some things, and I'm going to explain to you what Kabir said at the time at which he said it, in the historical milieu and circumstances in which he said it. And I'm going to give you a hypothesis on why he said it, you know, and what motivated him to say it. And there I will weave my own theory about Kabir. I'm going to give you a theory about Kabir. That's what they're saying. They're historicizing Kabir. In that example. Now you can replace Kabir with Mahabharata, with Veda, with Upanishad, etc. etc. Now that's exactly what Audrey Trushki is doing. She says, I'm only historicizing the Hindus. That's part of my method, my training. You know, on the other hand, we want to read the same text, the same textual corpus, not historically, but philosophically. And we want to critique the historical reading for what it is. Uh, contributing and what it is not contributing and how it is distorting the contemporary present moment understanding the philosophical, ontological understanding of what those texts are trying to say today for our contemporary humanity and for the future of humanity so that's a different way of reading and as you rightly said it's a different paradigm a different, entirely different framework a different cosmology so the contrast between the two cosmologies, the two paradigms, is at the heart of our Hindu studies curriculum. So it, it involves within that curriculum a full critique of the Western cosmology. So to just to kind of wrap up this thing, you know, if the West can study India through area studies, why can't Hindus study the West and study the Western theology, Western philosophy, Western uh, epistemology, Western methods, Western historicism, and so on. So the, a, a great part of the Hindu studies curriculum at Hindu University of America is this reversal of the gaze and taking a very deep look at the West, which is looking at the Enlightenment, looking at Reformation, the, the era of Reformation, looking at Protestant, Protestant Christianity, looking at Catholicism, Look at his, looking at Islam, looking at Judaism, and looking at the ideologies of our contemporary era, capitalism, com com communism, socialism. And you can add Trumpism to that mix now. And all okay. <laughs> so, 
So, so the paradigms, right? The intellectual approach has to contrast the paradigms. And if we do that well, it can actually help in recovering our own cosmology, our own paradigm, uh, which is definitely much more metaphysical, philosophical, uh, and, and very sophisticated in, in, in comparison to the West. So if, if, when a student goes through all of this, they, they got the, the, the major barrier that they have to overcome is that Hinduism belongs to the past of humanity, not to the present or its future. Hinduism must be bracketed into some bucket called religion, which it is not. It has got dimensions of religion as the West understands religion, but it exceeds the, those dimensions. It's a culture, it's a civilization, it has engendered arts. And there is so much to, to study and engage with in the, within the Hindu world. You know, and the Adhyatmika dimension that you are expressing is at the heart of the curriculum at Hindu University of America. And that's the whole effort. So it's the, the so the, the how do you uh, appropriate the degree titles, Doctor of Theology, Doctor of Divinity, Doctor of Philosophy, etc., PhD, while retaining the full measure of our, our adhyatmic um, understanding of our own uh, texts, traditions, culture, civilization, ontology, experiential learning, everything that you've said. That is the endeavor that Hindu University of America is undertaking. Thank you for this wonderful explanation. <laughs> and, uh, I give the last word to Vibhutiji. He's been sitting quiet for quite some time. No, no. This is this 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 is this show is, is for uh, awakening us Hindus to understand our own history. Uh, yeah. And we have we have kind of given up on that because we embrace the Western part of it. So think about the temple architecture of India that Kalyanji was talking about. I mean, it's mind-boggling. None of them had engineering degrees, did they? As the West prescribes. There was no PhD there. There was no, no, uh, no MBA there. No Ivy League guy directing or supervising the construction of temple. But think about it from this perspective that we have to instill that sense of pride in us, that we had all of it without any Western education. So when people talk about English or the English gave us the gift of the language and weave the country together, they forget a very simple historical truth that India was known as a golden bird. It had 26% of the world trade and that too without English. So as uh, Kalyanji said, I'm here by volunteering along with him that uh, Bihari from Hindi speaking, Bihari from Bihar and uh, Kalyanji Tamilian from Tamil Nadu, we will embrace Sanskrit as a national language. <laughs> we will have no dispute on that. So the point of the matter remains is that we have to begin, go back to, go back to Swami Vivekananda's call, arise, awaken and assert. And to that, I have added Vibhuti Jha's fourth A to that is act. Mm -hmm. Sitting, just being satisfied that we were that great in the past and that Sanatan Dharma will not die and it will live forever, which is true. Sanatan principles will live forever. That's why they are eternal. My question is that will it live in India or will it live elsewhere? Because in, in, in India, we are getting circumscribed, circumcised. The invasion of Hindu, Hindu philosophy is happening 
by decol by you know what you call balkanizing us pockets kashmir our sharda peat is no longer hindu think about it from that point of view we have to begin to think about it and we have the opportunity with our mind of science and technology to take advantage of the technology leap i'll repeat that to all the people who are watching today or they are not watching today it is it is for us we, this program is for them what did you learn from here today to do and that's the act part which is very important these are my last words it's time for for too long we have been lotus eaters embracing everybody i mean it is truly sad from my perspective that a mandated belief system called christianity and islam talks about freedom and we are a truly <laughs> free country free faith and we are being attacked by them as if we are the minority abusers go figure this well, out we are the fascists bro exactly <laughs> we are the fascists so you know i have asked this question to my muslim and christian friends that uh, do you really have freedom of religion are you really free because if you believe in only one part of the life that religious doctrine that jesus is the only way then the freedom of religion is doesn't exist so on that note i would say it's time for us to act knowing what we know sure <laughs> sure, sure i think uh, sometime we need to discuss this sanctity attached to degrees also i think yes yes uh, one of those talks that uh, mr jain kalavar had uh, referred to it how the west uh, actually created these knowledge monopolies uh, the degree is actually a creation of that system i remember i did a degree in marine engineering and i went on board ship and i went down to the engine room on my day one and uh, uh, i was actually supposed to supervise a guy a fitter who, who was uh, not an officer was, uh, on the ship is called a petty officer and uh, i realized within the first one hour that i knew nothing and then i that engineering degree that's just had the humility to cast away the degree and learn everything from the scratch from him that's how i learned my <laughs> ship engineering marine engineering so this uh, all this swagger about having degrees uh, i don't know how far it is uh, yeah but of course that is the system mm -hmm. so let's move to the questions uh, from the audience now before that uh, i request everybody to please uh, like the video uh, also to share the video around uh, as much as you can and go down to our description where our support